0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Riverwood Church. As uh, Jake said, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor for Riverwood, and I am really glad you are here on this second Sunday of August. Before we get going with this morning's sermon, I just want to draw your attention to that handout when you walked in. Hopefully, one of our ushers was able to get that into your hands. Inside of there is all of our announcements, so I'm going to let you take time to kind of skim through there and see announcements and prayer requests. Um, But if you are a first-time guest, I want to draw your attention to that connection card that's in. Side there. Um, our church family fills that out every week. We just normally write on the top line just indicating we were here, but then we use the back for prayer requests. Our, our elders meet every Wednesday morning to, to pray for our church family, so we pray through those requests. Uh, we also use it to sign up for various things like when we serve at the food pantry or uh, something else. But if you are a first-time guest and are willing to fill out the entire front of that card, we will donate $5 to Compassion International. Uh, Compassion is an organization that has a goal of releasing children from poverty, and they do it in Jesus' name. They work through local churches all around the globe where they're helping kids get not only an education, some food, some clothing, but these kids have every opportunity to hear through that church the life-changing message of Jesus. And so we would love to make an, an impact in the life of a kid. And so we would just love to honor your presence with us, and we will donate that $5 on your behalf. All you need to do is fill out the entire front of that card, drop it in our giving box on the back wall or the one that's right by the main entrance, and then uh, we will get that sent off uh, sometime within this next quarter. Um, One uh, Thing I want to draw your attention to, uh, one announcement uh, that's new this week. Uh, we're going to have our last uh, summer uh, Riverwood Hangout. We're going to do it on the last Sunday here in August, and we're going to do a movie night outside. So bring a lawn chair, bring a, 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 your favorite movie snack to share. We're going to make up some popcorn. We'll probably have some lemonade, maybe some sodas. We're going to start at 6:30 p.m. Uh, we're going to do it on this side because the sun's setting that way, and so we'll get some shade from our canopy, and we'll set up the Kids Creek Sound System, and we'll just hang out there for about an hour hour and a half, uh, have a good old time, have some laughs, and uh, enjoy one last thing before fall just really, really, really kicks in. All right, so join us on August 27th at 6.30 p.m. outside. Well, kids, I am glad you are here. Uh, You may not be. Some of you are probably a little sad that we're not having Kids Creek during the month of August. Don't worry. We will be restarting it. You guys will get back there because I know I'm not nearly as cool as Miss Bridget or Mr. Matt or any of your other teachers that are back there, but I'm going to do everything I can. And here in August to make this sermon series as much for you as for your mom and your dad. I believe that the church is not just the adults, and once you achieve a certain age, then you get to be a part of the church. I believe you're the church of today, and I believe the very things we're going to talk about today, you can even begin to implement in your life. So kids, if you understand who Jesus is, what he did on a cross through an empty tomb for you, this is just as much for you as it is for your mom and dad. But because you're here and I'm lame, I decided we gotta start with some jokes. All right, is that okay? Yes, all right. My just went up a few notches in some people's minds. All right. What do you call a video of a clock on your phone? A TikTok. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that one's not so funny. Uh what do you call a really smart clock? Clockwise. What do you call candy that never arrives on time? Choco-late. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, hey, I don't want to hear any arguing. 6.30 is the best time on a clock, hands down. Kids, you have to know how to read an uh, analog clock to get that, get that joke. You, you in the digital era probably are going, What? Oh, hey, before I started these jokes, I probably should have told you guys that uh, the reason I've got all these, you know, kind of clock jokes in my mind is I had an uncle who got fired from a watchmaking factory recently. He was putting in too many hours. And then this past week, uh, I was on my news app, and the uh, National Geographic said that a new flying insect has been discovered. And the unique thing about this insect is that it only lays its eggs in clocks. They're called time flies. Okay. Yep. Scratch that one. Did not work. All right. Okay. Last one. Eating a clock is really time consuming, especially if you go back for seconds. Okay. That one's my favorite one. All right. Okay. Kids, what was the theme in all of my lame dad jokes? Clocks. Okay. But I also mentioned watches. So it wasn't just clocks. Time. 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 The reason we're talking about time is because today's sermon is called Giving Your Time. Now, we may have started off today by joking about time, but the passage we're going to see in the Bible does not think time is a joke. It's going to actually see time as being a very serious thing. So I want you to see it for yourself. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90. Uh, If you are a first time guest with us and did not bring a Bible, we're going to be putting the scripture on the screen because we want you to be able to learn with us. But if you have a Bible on your phone, totally feel free to pull that out. Uh, We'd rather you have a digital Bible than no Bible. Or if you don't own a Bible, we've got some Bibles on our resource table. We'd love to just give one of those to you. That way you can not only use it when you come back on a Sunday, but you can use it any and every day of the week. Now, uh, today we're kicking off this little three-week series that I'm calling being a penny Christian. No, not a petty Christian. All right? We don't need any practice in being petty. Uh, us humans are really, really good at that. All right, we're doing a series called Penny Christian. Now, you've probably heard all sorts of adjectives put in front of the word Christian. All right? American Christian, evangelical Christian, uh, progressive Christian. But you may be wondering, wait, I've never heard of a penny Christian. And that's understandable, because I made it up. So if you're thinking, yeah, this is kind of a lame title, now you know why. But let me explain why I'm calling it being a penny Christian. Years ago, back in the dark ages, like when phones had cords, and uh, Facebook was known as your high school yearbook, or, or the church directory, Leanne and I were young marrieds, had no kids, and we decided to go on the mission field. We made the decision to go to Venezuela and work at a school for missionary kids. However, the school did not pay a salary. We were going to have to raise our own funds. The idea was we were going to go teach the kids of missionaries as these missionaries were trying to plant churches and help people understand who Jesus is. So to raise the salary, we, we wrote letters, we sent them out to family and to friends and to various churches. A few of those churches allowed us to come in and speak, sometimes to the whole church, but usually to like a subset of the church. One church invited us to come and speak at their Awana class. Any kids do Awana up at Horton Baptist on Wednesday nights? Okay, yeah, a few hands go up. All right, we got to come and speak to an Awana class. Well, we were going to be speaking to kids. So we thought, well, we better like put together a lesson that the kids would want to, to hear. And in our preparation, we came across this little like illustration, this little story, the story is that a missionary, the definition of a missionary, is someone who's being sent by God to another nation, to another country, to a specific people, in order for them to hear about the life-changing gospel message of Jesus. In other words, a missionary is one cent. Well, a penny is one cent. A penny is one cent, C-E-N-T, and a missionary is one cent, S-E-N-T. Is that Salem, go ahead. There you go. All right, so kids, you got it? All right, so... Missionary, one cent. Penny, one cent. Well, a few weeks later, Leanne and I were invited to go and speak at a church uh, for their, like, missions week. They started it on a Sunday night, and every night of the week through Friday, uh, they had different missionaries in to speak. Well, we got stuck with Thursday night. Think about it. They've been doing this on Sunday, and every night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, by Thursday, people are going, oh, my goodness, this is so much. And so they didn't come. So we were speaking to, like, 12 people that night and then Friday night was their big send-off, and they said, yeah, we'll probably have 100 here. Thankfully, they took all the offerings and divvied it up evenly, because uh, otherwise I think we would have walked out with about $5.36. So we're, we're, we get done speaking, and we're standing at our table where we've got our little you know prayer cards and some other information, and this guy comes up to me, and he is just gushing over me and Leanne. He just thinks we were awesome and wonderful, and he says to me, I think being a missionary is the highest calling anyone could have. But the way he shared it, I sensed inside, yeah, and because I've not been called to be a missionary, I must not be as good. I must not be as loved. There must be something wrong with me. And and that really bothered me because I realized like me going to Venezuela didn't make me more special than if I was being sent to Virginia. Like the mission was the same. Yeah, I was called to go to Venezuela. But I was only there for two years. After that, I went to Denver, Colorado. And after Denver, I went to Cedar Rapids. And from Cedar Rapids, we've come to Waverly to plant Riverwood Church. And I don't think I'm better or worse based on the location. The mission is the same, to help people find and follow Jesus. And that's when it began to dawn on me that the call Jesus gives to people to go and make disciples isn't just for the ones who are willing to go overseas. It's for everyone who follows Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are one cent. You are to be a penny Christian. Now, maybe as a Christian, you're sent like Aslan McCarthy to Togo or to North Minneapolis like Patrick Gray. Some of you, you're sent to John Deere. Some of you, you are sent to the middle school. You're sent to your soccer team. You are sent to your neighborhood. But you're still sent. And that is why we're going to take three weeks to talk about what does it look like for us to be sent. And we're going to see that a penny Christian does three things. (laughs) Three things. I'm learning to count, kids. You, You gotta help me out here. We're gonna today we're gonna talk about giving your time. Next week we're gonna talk about giving your heart, and then we're gonna see that we need to give your words, your time, your heart, and your words. All right. So that's what we're gonna be doing. Now Some of you, as you're listening to this, you're catching on. You're like, okay, wait, wait, wait a second. Um, Aaron, what you're saying is we have to share our faith. Isn't that like wrapped up in that big scary word, evangelism? Evangelism makes a lot of us uncomfortable. And if you're really tuned into things here at Riverwood, you're going, whoa, wait. Aaron, you're doing a series on evangelism in the News and Notes email every Thursday. Now you're going to do it on Sundays? Like, isn't that a little much? Like, Everyone—no one likes talking about this. This is going to be uncomfortable. Like, maybe we should just check out for the month of August and come back when you get to more comfortable things. Why why are we going to do this? Well, last January, if you were part of the Riverwood family, we started off our year like we do most years, with 21 days of prayer and fasting. This year's theme was gospel growth. The first week of that series, we prayed that God would grow his gospel within us— then the next week, we prayed that God would grow the, the gospel within us as a community, as a church, as a corporate body. But then we prayed the last week, the last seven days, that God would grow the gospel around us, in our community. Well, God's primary vehicle for growing his gospel in a community, in a region, to spread his good news of the love of, of God through shown through Christ, is Humans. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be sent and to evangelize. And what I hope you'll see is that evangelism is not just standing on a street corner, yelling into a bullhorn. Evangelism can be hanging out with someone, living out your faith, naturally talking about the love of God and what it means to you in your life and letting God work in their life. That is why it's worth us taking three weeks to talk about this. Because I believe that when you see someone's eternity changed, it will be one of the greatest moments you have ever experienced. And because I want you to have that joy, I'm going to invite you, even you kids, to lean in and listen. Because God could use this to not only change your life, but change someone else's. So as we get ready to read in Psalm 90, let's pray. All right, so Heavenly Father, um, I've been saying a lot, but Lord, what's most important is what you are about to say to us. You have written these words through Moses for countless generations to hear and learn. And some of what we're going to hear is is awkward, it's hard, it's difficult, and yet, God, I believe you have something for us in this. And so open our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray for the person who's not a follower of Jesus yet, that as they listen to this, they would realize that you love them and that you, Jesus, gave your time for them, ultimately going and dying on a cross for their sins. And I pray that in the midst of a a sermon that's all about uh, sharing your faith, that they would realize that you were inviting them to place their faith in you. Lord, I pray for the person who's uh, struggling right now in their faith. They've got a lot of questions. I pray that they would be able to feel like they can bring those questions to you and, and that you will uh, meet them in those, those places of doubts, those, those places of worry, because I believe that you can grow them through that time and then that becomes part of their story and how you will use them to share their faith and give their time to others. Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would do what you, only you can do. Uh, Lord, I just feel it's utterly ridiculous to think that I, as one person, am able to speak in a way that impacts every single person that's listening to this. Father, I believe that is only something you can do. And so I am so glad that you know these people's names, you know their stories, you know their fears, you know their future, and you can use this to help them become the people you call them to be. And I pray you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 90, uh, it used to be uh, combined with uh, Psalm 91. Uh, it used to be kind of one longer psalm. Not sure who the dude is that decided, you know what? I think this worked better as two, two separate. Um, it, it's fine. It doesn't, doesn't change anything. The, the reason I point that out, though, is uh, they have one author. If you have your Bible open there, you see in the, the very beginning, it says that this is a prayer of Moses. Yes, it's that Moses, the famous Moses who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and got the, led them for 40 years in the wilderness before then he allowed Joshua, well, God set up Joshua to lead the people across the Jordan River into what they knew as the promised land, right? This is the only psalm that we know of written by Moses. Now, he may have written hundreds upon hundreds of them, but this is the only one that God chose to capture for us to, to hear and learn from, and he starts off his psalm in a very typical psalm-like way. Notice in verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's a very typical start to a psalm. All right. Many Christians would find themselves reading those words and, and beginning to be drawn in to find comfort in them. And they would eagerly want to move forward. However, Moses takes a dark turn. He suddenly starts in verse 3 getting really, really morose. We're going to read it in a moment, but just stop and think for a moment. Like, I wonder what was going on in his mind and heart. Now, I believe that the scripture is not only written through Moses, but ultimately this is being written by God. But I believe God uses the, the quirks and personalities and circumstances of, of people's lives. I wonder if Moses wrote this towards the end of his life, and that's why he's thinking about death, as we're going to hear in a moment. I, I wonder if, like, maybe something just major happened when you read the story of the Israelite people. We, we see several, like, plagues and, and, and tr- you know, just tragedies happen to the people. Maybe one of those happened, and that's what's, like, getting on his mind, and that's why he writes these. I, I don't know what was happening away. Moses starts it off. Oh, God, you are our dwelling place. You're from everlasting to everlasting. And then suddenly, just makes God, not just sound a a little cranky, makes God sound cruel. I mean, look at it there. Verse 3, God returns man to dust. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. Down in verse 7, we are brought to an end by your anger. And then down in verse 9, for all our days pass away under your wrath. I've heard many people say that, you know, well, God in the New Testament, he, he's nice. But man, back in the Old Testament, he was just like really cranky. You know, he, he, was, he was mean. I don't, I don't think I want to follow that God. And all they need is proof is Psalm 90. I and mean, l- Listen to how God sounds. It, it sounds very different than how I talk about the love of God. I believe God loves you passionately. And I don't believe that this contradicts that truth at all. So we have to ask ourselves, all right, so what is going on? Why did God write this through Moses this way? Well, I I think there are several things that are happening. First, I want you to notice that God's anger is first and foremost against sin, not first against humanity. Notice verse 8. You have set our iniquities. Kids, that's just a big fancy word for sin. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, God created humans, and he created them in his image. And so God loves humanity, but it hurts his heart so much to see his creation steeped in sin. And so his anger is first and foremost against sin. Now, we as sin bearers, end up bearing some of that wrath, some of that anger. But ultimately, it isn't against us as his creation. It's against sin. If you don't believe me, just look at the cross. If God was really mad at us, hated us, just wanted to wipe us away, he would never have sent Jesus to the cross. No, that shows his anger was first against sin itself. And so it's not reading this going, man, God just must not like humans. No, he loves human. It's just that he hates what sin has done to them. Uh, the second thing I think God is trying to help point out to us is that many of us, we fear death. And, and I think he wants us to realize that death is just a part of the things in this world. Death is part of life. Uh, if, if you do, go down and look down at verse 10. It says that the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. And yet their span is but toil And trouble. Yeah, you may live a long time. Maybe you make it to 70, 80, 100. And yet those years have so many pains in them physical pains, emotional pains, spiritual pains. That pain is there because of sin. And it shows our need for God, the one who is described in verse 1 as our dwelling place. It shows that we will only find our joy and fulfillment in him. And so maybe, just maybe, death isn't necessarily just the end. Maybe it's a relief. In verse 9, Moses says that we come to the end with a sigh. Now, as I did some digging there, I think the the Hebrew was saying, like, it's like a, a moan of anguish. But as I was studying this and realizing all the toil and trouble, maybe that sigh is actually a sigh of relief because finally the pain is done. But I think God is writing these things to, to drive home something, and I think this is the most important part of it. I think he wants us to realize just how different he is. He is trying to contrast in here our mortality with his immortality. Notice in verse two, Moses started it off by describing God as being from everlasting to everlasting. That means, kids, God had no beginning, and he will have no end. You have a birth date. And to be morbid, you will also have a death date. God, though, does not. He is eternal. He is constant. He is continual. That's why in verse 4, Moses said that to God, a thousand years are like yesterday. Just recently, just out there in the lobby, I was asking some of you, like, hey, how was your vacation? What'd you guys do? What was your favorite part? And you were able to recall it and think about it. But if I said, hey, do you remember your vacation from like seven, eight years ago? Some of you would be going, oh, yeah, I think we went here. I think we did this. You're like, you couldn't fully recall it. But you can remember yesterday. You can remember last week. To God, that's how his last thousand years were. You don't say to God, hey, how was, how was your day yesterday? You say to God, hey, how was your past millennium Oh, you know, created a few things, did a few miracles. Yeah, it was pretty good. Because he's forever. Time is nothing to him. He's completely outside of time. So is God trying to show us his immortality as like a brag? Is he, is he trying to show us like, hey, I'm way better than you. I'm more powerful than you. I'm, I'm like the five-year-old who's stomping on the ants. Like, is that, is that what he's doing? No, I, I think he's actually trying to help us. Some of you have heard the uh, famous uh, illustration of the tombstone. Preachers love using the story of walking through the cemetery. And there in the cemetery, you see this headstone. On the headstone is someone's name. And then you see the date they were born and the day that they died. But in between those two dates is a dash. The pastor then looks at the congregation and says, that dash is your life life. What will you do with your dash? And then to drive the point home, he says, so make the most of your dash. Then he drops the mic and walks off the stage. (laughs) This is kind of what God's doing here in Psalm 90. He's us wanting us to realize he is a circle. He has no beginning and no end, but you and I, we are a dash. And when you realize that your life is nothing but a dash, it begins to change you. The way James, uh, the brother of Jesus, puts it in James chapter 4, verse 14, he says, what is your life? You're nothing but a mist, a vapor, here for a moment and then gone. And yet, that actually helps us. That's what Moses points out in verse 12. If you still have your Bible open there, look at Psalm 90 and go to verse 12. So again, Moses writing to God, this is his prayer. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The currency of life is seconds and minutes, not money. Money is the currency of the economy. But unlike money, money can be gained and lost. You can get rebates, you can get refunds, you could go bankrupt and then become a millionaire. But with time, once it's spent, it's gone. You will never get that second, that minute, that year, that decade ever again. So he's trying to say, so teach us to number our days. Now, kids, that does not mean that you go home today and go, well, I think I'm probably going to die on whatever day. No, no, you, you can't do that. No one knows their end date except God. He knows yours. What it means is this is a poetical way of saying, so realize you only have so much time on this earth. This is uncomfortable for so many of us. We, we don't want to think this way. You kids, you have years and years and years ahead of you, we hope. And so you, you kind of think like, I've got all sorts of time. And yet, even if you lived those 70 years or 80 that Moses says in verse 10, or even if you somehow set a Guinness Book of World Records for the most years ever on this earth, it is still like a mist, a vapor, compared to the eternality of God. And yet, that knowledge helps. Notice the second phrase of verse 12 when you realize how mortal you are, it can help you gain a heart of wisdom. Any of you ever feel like you need wisdom? I do, all the time. I need wisdom in what to do, what to say, how to interact with a person. I I need wisdom constantly. Now, I, I believe that wisdom comes out by hanging out with God, Learn, learning from, from God through the scriptures, being around really wise people who can help you. Also, I think it comes through life and experience. But clearly, we will also gain a heart of wisdom when we realize we only have so much time on this earth. And we suddenly begin to use our time very differently, and it will actually gain, gain us something. And so what this means is your limitedness, your shortness, your dash. It's actually a gift. Here in this like morose, dark, God sounds cranky kind of passage. When you really start digging into it, you realize God is giving you a gift and he wants you to use this gift for his glory because he knows it will bring you great joy. So therefore we should ask, how should we use our time? Now, because we're at church, I realize some of you would say, oh, well, we should go to church. That, great answer. I believe that is definitely worth uh, time. And I don't just mean come to church. I mean, be part of a church, a church family. Others of you would say, well, I think we should pray. Again, great answer. Think that's totally worth your time. Oh, we should read our Bible. Yes, again, great answer. But remember, we're in a series called being a penny Christian. We are being sent. And so I think this means to use our time wisely, to be good stewards of it, means we need to give some of our time to others. Just as Christ set aside his throne in heaven to come and give his time and his very life for us, if we are going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, we have to give our time to others as well. Now, I realize for some of you, this is easy. Some of you, you love to serve. And so you find such joy in going and giving time to others. Some of you, you are just extroverts. It drives you nuts to be by yourself. So you happily go spend time with people because it's going to fill your tank. Others of you, you are natural at hospitality. You just have a beautiful spiritual gift. So it's nothing to you to prepare a meal and have people over and give them some time. But if you were like me, you are selfish with your time. When you find an opening in your schedule, you do not think, can I go have coffee with? You think, how can I get some me time? This is an opportunity to go watch a movie or read a book. For me, it's work on a puzzle. It's, it's, you know, go work out. Now, I am not saying you can't have some me time, but too many of us spend all of our time on me and we're not giving the time where it needs to be given. So what do you do? Well, I've got three tips for you. The first tip is you got to schedule giving time to others. you just got to, to get it in your calendar. Now, kids, I realize your moms and your dads, they keep your schedule for you, and yet you guys can do some of this as well. Right? Find someone to invest in. Find a, a place to, 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 that's of value that you can give your time. Right? Because I am so selfish with my time, I have intentionally done things like signed up for All In Mentoring. It forces me for 30 minutes once a week to go and just give some time to someone else. And what happens is I'm hoping it's a blessing to him. But, I mean, I walk away just going, that was great. Like, it's it's doing as much for me as it is for him, right? So find it, invest it. Some of you, it could be as simple as every month well, on that second um, Tuesday of the month, serve at the food pantry. Just go down to the Civic Center and give, you know, one hour, two hours of your time to help make sure some people can get some food into their, their pantries, right? Give some of your time. What is something that's worth it, right? What, what, to, what happens so often is we think it. We think, you know, I should probably go check on my neighbor. Just see if she needs anything. Like, could I mow her lawn for her? Does she need a meal? You know, she just had surgery or she's elderly. You know, I, I could, should do that. And yet, next thing we know is out of memory, we're turning on the TV and we never actually get it done. So put it in your schedule. As soon as you have the thought, moms and dads, you pull out the phone, put it in your schedule or or, or on the to-do list so that you can make the most of your time. So schedule it. Second thing, I think you invite. I'm not asking you to stop doing the things that, that you love doing. Rather, use some of that time to invite someone into it. So, for instance, you love to go golf. Invite someone to go golfing with you. You you, want to go watch a sporting event or a movie. Invite someone to come. Maybe you love to go hiking or you love to go shopping. You want to go check something, you know, some new restaurant out. Invite someone to go with you. It doesn't mean you have to sacrifice the things you enjoy. Instead, invite someone into those things and share that with them. Invest some time in them. So, schedule, invite. And then third, repurpose. Many of us find moments where we just kind of waste our time. Some of you, you are constantly on the go. You, you hate doing nothing. But some of you, man, you are natural at scrolling on your phone. I mean, you, your thumb is so strong. I mean, that thing just can go like no other. Man, I do not want to thumb wrestle you. You would defeat me in an instant because it's so strong. And yet, what have you done? Not much. Not much. Could you repurpose that time? So as you're sitting there at the doctor's office waiting to go in or at the dentist or the DMV, could you instead of just scrolling through social media or pulling out the same game, could you maybe just shoot a text to someone? Hey, just thinking of you, praying for you. Maybe there's a Bible verse of the day on your Bible app. Could you just shoot that off to someone? Hey, the Bible verse today was this. It really meant a lot to me. Here's what I thought of it. I just thought you'd want to know. What, what can you do to continue to just take these moments that we naturally just want to use for ourselves, and could you repurpose it and, and, and turn it into a blessing for someone else? So schedule it, invite someone into it, and then just repurpose it. Now, I am not asking you to completely ignore yourself. Some of you, you are introverts. And if all you do is constantly give your time to everyone and everything, you're going to end up becoming cranky and no one's going to want to be around you. You gotta figure out, how do I go about making sure that I am finding my wholeness in God, letting him be my dwelling place, as it says in verse one, and yet how do I also fulfill the call to be sent? Because God did not put me on this earth for myself. God put me on this earth for him and others. Because when you begin to give of your time to people, you will bring them joy and what you will discover is it will bring joy to you as well. And you never know. The time you give to them just might change their eternity. Well, it also helps you gain a heart of wisdom. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would accomplish these things in us. For those that are your followers, you would help us to just take a hard look at how do we spend our time and how can we use it to, to be a blessing to others, Father, for anyone who's feeling conviction, I pray you'd help them to to follow through on that. But I pray that no one is feeling like they're being arm twisted into something. Instead, I pray that they would hear your call because this is for their good, to, to develop that heart of wisdom, to bring them joy, to make them a blessing. Lord, you have only given us so many days on this planet. Help us to use them wisely for your kingdom, for your glory, knowing doing so brings us great and immense joy. So God, I pray you would help us to be penny Christians, to realize we have only so many days on this earth to be sent to people. Help us to make the most of that time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now before we go to communion, I wanna do one little thing, and I would like the fifth and sixth grade class to come up and help me with this, all right? So fifth and sixth graders, come on up here. Because we're doing a series called Penny Christian, I got pennies, and then these pennies are crosses. What I want you guys to do is I want you to just go hand them out to anyone and everyone that would like one. And they can put this in their pocket. They can put this on their, uh, uh, they can put this on their um, uh, key ring, thank you. Uh, they can put it wherever. All right, So anyone who wants one. so just hold your hand up, to get a penny from one of our fifth or sixth graders. All right? And then this is just your reminder. That you are one cent, All right? Years and years ago, uh, I used this little illustration in a sermon, and uh, we handed out pennies to everyone. And uh, Paul Johnson texted me and says, "Hey, I drove, I drilled a penny, I, I drilled a hole in my penny, and I stuck it on my key ring." And I thought that's a brilliant idea. And so ever since then, what man, Paul, what was that? Probably like five, six years ago, I've had a penny on my key ring. Right? And so I decided we'd, we'd get some pennies. Well, then I just accidentally, truly accidentally found these with a cross punched out. So do not use this at the store, okay? Uh, it will be rejected. Uh, it's illegal to try to use this as uh, official money uh, now that it has been defaced. Um, but I want it to be a reminder that if you are a follower of Christ and you've put Jesus at the center of your life, that you are being sent And just put this someplace to remind you to go, to be a blessing at work, at school, on your teams, or wherever God happens to send you, all right? If there's any of those extra pennies, I will collect those back here at the end of our worship gathering because I'm going to make sure that they're available next week for anyone who isn't here today and would like one, all right? With that, we're going to move into our time of communion. Uh, This is an opportunity to remember that Jesus was sent, He was sent for us. He was sent to come and to live the life that we should have lived, a sinless life. And yet he went to the cross and died the death that we should have died. We should have paid for our own sin. But because of God's immense love for us, rather than let us just get washed away by God's wrath, to let us just die under his anger, God turned and funneled that anger against sin. And Jesus took the brunt of it. He absorbed that wrath so that you and I could be made free. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I invite you that during this next time, don't worry about these communion elements. These communion elements are for those who know the gospel. They've made Jesus the center of their life. If that's not you yet, I encourage you instead during this prayer, I mean, during this song, to pray. To Just simply ask God, is this whole entire thing true? And if you realize it is, that you would take the moment to give your life to Jesus because he was sent for you. But I want you to realize that if you make this step of faith, if you cross that line, you are saying, God, my life now belongs to you. And God wants to then send you. He wants to send you to go and be a blessing. So realize that doing this step is the most life-changing thing you will ever do, but it will also cost you everything because you're basically saying, God, it's all yours. But for those of you who follow Jesus, we need to continue to say that to God. Too often we continue to try to take things for ourselves and hold on to it. Communion is a reminder that Jesus gave it all for us and so we are to open up our fists and to give it all to him. So as you come and take these elements, remembering that the bread is the body of Christ broken for you, that that juice represents the the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of your sins. As you take that into you, may you just continue to give your life to him, asking him to send you and use you to be that blessing. So anytime during this next song, feel free to go up. If you need to, you can stay and pray. You can kneel if you want to stand and sing. But this time is for you to connect with God and continue to give your life to him because Jesus gave his life for you. Let us do this now in remembrance of him.